police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to One Tough True Crime Story with Bo Deedle. And today we have my ex partner, who's my current partner in the Bo Deedle Associates. And it's one of the cases that came in through our office as private investigators. And Mike Cervolo. The president of Bo Deedle Associates was one of the ones that headed up this investigation. This is a real mystery. This has been highlighted on every news story. It's still one that we're actually working on now. And it's a case of Lauren Spira, this beautiful young gal, 19 years old, who used to go to school at Indiana University, and she disappeared. Now, how we got involved in it was her parents came to us, and she had been missing since the beginning of June. And what happens is we got approached around September-ish and the parents come to see us. And they said, look, it, we're not getting any results from the police out in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, we'd like to hire you guys to go out there. So we put together a team of people. And we, we fly out to Bloomington, Indiana, where the University of Indiana was. And we go over there. Whenever we do investigations, when we retire now, we always go to the local police there. We introduce ourselves and we tell them what we're going to do. And you're talking about hundreds of years of a detective experience between our little team that we had out there. So the first thing we did was we went into uh, Bloomington uh, Police Department, and uh, when we went in there, we show, told them we were we were hired by the family. We're trying to find a Lawrence Spear. We want to work. We told them right out, anything we develop, we're going to give it to you guys. We're not trying to showboat out here. All we're trying to do is get closure to find Lawrence Spear with all respect. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting in there, and this alleged chief of police, and I'll say it like it is, he was the former a traffic controller for the University of Indiana. Whenever they would have a football game, this guy was the cop that would show you which way to go to avoid the traffic. He was sitting on one side of the table, and I was there, and I reiterated many, many times over and over again, look it, we're not here to take any credit. Everything we develop, we're going to give to you. We want you to be the ones that find Lawrence Spear. And all he would do, we asked him about interviews, and the only thing I remember was he you sat there and go, I said, can you give us any information? Nope. It was like talking to friggin' Goma Pile. Such resistance to us and all we wanted to do was help. I have never faced this. I've been retired 38 years doing cases as a private investigator. I have never experienced the negativity of this zero. And I'll call him a zero to his face. I know the spirits will get angry for the way I'm talking, but the fact is, they had information. We only got involved almost three and a half months later. God knows if we got involved in the beginning, maybe it could have been a faster result because this case was kind of cold right from the beginning. They had opportunities to interview people. And then Mike Cervola, who's with me, Detective Lieutenant, retired Mike Cervola, headed up this investigation. And then part of this thing, Mike, if we remember, is we went out there. You had your team. I stayed there for a while. Then you stayed out there with your team. And you interviewed almost 100 people, Mike? Uh, the 
first the first trip when we were out there three weeks, about uh, 60 people. 60 people. Of those 60 people, important witnesses, how many were interviewed by the Bloomington Police Department? Maybe six. You had people that were around her. We knew we had videotapes of her around uh, where she lived over there. We had statements and all that. Part of these suspects all of a sudden had opportunity and time. If they were gotten at immediately and maybe separated, this case could have been broken real quick. You know, there's scenarios with this case. Maybe she died of an overdose. Maybe there was a panic. Maybe they dumped a body. Or was she a victim of someone at 3 o'clock in the morning, a beautiful little blonde girl walking in the streets of Bloomington was she uh, picked up by one of these psychopathic rednecks thrown into the cabin? Was she intoxicated and high or whatever? So there's a lot of scenarios with this case. But the most important thing was the main suspects that were with her. I call them suspects because until we find out what happened, every one of them is a suspect. Nobody is off the off the target list as far as we're concerned as detectives. And Mike will say the same thing. Thing, like her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is still a suspect. Any of the other fellas that were with it, he was at a party. So why don't we do a chronological thing, yeah. Mike, best that you remember, and I'll jump sure. in a little bit what I, what I remember. Go ahead. Okay. Well, we became involved with, with in September of 2011, we met with uh, Rob and Charlene Spira. Uh, they retained uh, us to, to help out with the investigation. You and I and a number of detectives went out to Bloomington, Indiana. I stayed there for about three weeks, the very first trip, and many, many trips subsequent to that. But just to set it up, Lauren, you know, was from Scarsdale, the Edgemont area of Scarsdale in Westchester uh, County. Very petite, pretty little girl, blue eyes, long blonde hair, four feet, 11 inches tall, 95 pounds. She had met her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, at a uh, summer camp, maybe uh, a year or two prior to that. They were going out together. They were, you know, kind of exclusive boyfriend, girlfriend type of thing. Jesse Wolf was attending IU. She went to Indiana University. Now, when this happened on June 3rd of 2011, she was attending summer Courses. Her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, was attending summer courses. Now, about a week before she goes missing, she gets introduced to some boys about two and a half, three blocks north of the apartment building that she lives in. Why don't we back up a little bit? Didn't she uh, attend some kind of race? Yes. So about a week before, she went with some of her friends uh, to the Indianapolis 500, and they go the day before the race, and all these college kids, they set up tents in the inn field and all around the racetrack and they're partying and you know was, Jack, gonna, was her boyfriend there he was not okay. so uh at that uh at that event she met uh these guys who lived a few blocks from her and that was jay rosenbaum who she knew a couple of years uh earlier they went to the same summer camp together Corey Rossman was from Chicago area. Then you had Mike Beth, his roommate, and then you had Jay Rosenbaum, who was a Michigan guy. So she meets these guys at the Indianapolis 500, and when they come home from that, they invite her to a barbecue. And this guy, Corey Rossman, wanted to try to get together with Lauren. On the night she goes missing, she goes to what they call a pregame party at, at their house. So Jay Rosenbaum throws a pregame party, and, you know, it's like 11 to midnight, they have a keg of beer, there's some vodka. So they get drunk before they go out. Yeah, they have some, some shots, and then they go to the local bars 
and everybody kind of walks there because they're all a few blocks from there. What was the name of that bar, Mike? It was called Kilroy Sports Bar, Sports bar. on Walnut Street in uh, in Bloomington. A couple of blocks from where she right. lived. So she goes there and she has a, a, f- a few drinks there. She's seen there. Uh, she's seen on video leaving there. When she leaves, she, she was pretty intoxicated. She didn't have her shoes on. They had like a beach night there, so they had sand. So people used to take off their shoes, and it was like having a luau on the beach, you know, in a, in a, a yard area, in the outdoor area of the bar. So she leaves. She leaves her cell phone behind. Where did she leave with, She leaves her know? shoes behind. She left with Corey Rossman. They walked back to her apartment building called Smallwood, which is a, a, a huge off-campus student apartment building. And they're seen on camera going in, and they go upstairs. As they go upstairs, they're confronted by four boys, and Lauren was, I guess, pretty drunk at that time. She was kind of leaning up against the wall, and she she was a little bit out of it. And one of the boys knew Lauren and said to Corey Rossman, who was with her, hey, she's drunk, dude. Take her back to her room. And he says, no, no, she's coming with me. I got it. She's fine. And he says, no, she's pretty drunk. You really ought to take them. And they had some words back and forth, and then Corey Rossman dropped an F-bomb. He got nasty with this this Mike. crew of guys, and one guy leveled him, hit him in the face, and this is where he's claiming he got a concussion. Mm. So he gets up. Uh, eventually, the boys all scatter because now they think they're going to be arrested for assaulting him, mm-hmm. and he leaves the building with her. They sit on some concrete steps across the street, and they're caught on camera again, and Lauren is sitting on a top step and she falls over and she hits her head on the concrete pavement. And some girl passing by says, oh, is she okay? Oh, yeah, Corey says, no, she's okay. She's good. And he takes her and they walk up the alleyway. I remember seeing the video, Michael. He had her arms over his... Well, that comes a few minutes later. Now they start walking up the alleyway. Lauren falls. And then he picks her up and he carries her into another building. We later find out he went up a stairway and he carried her in a fireman's walk, draped across his back like With a, hands like a knapsack. Hands, yeah. yeah. And he knocked on the door of three girls that were at the pregame party, yeah. but nobody answered. They were asleep. It was already like, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So he carries her out. Now to get to his house, he's got to walk through a brick street lot where they did demolition and she had no shoes on and she was drunk and he carried her across the lot Again. and he took him back he took her back to his house when he walks in his buddy Mike Beth his roommate is there working on a term paper that he had to turn in the next morning uh-huh. so Mike Beth says you know I I, I can't have I can't any distractions I can't deal with this Corey I guess wanted to try to be alone with Lauren, but he was so drunk, and he starts going, uh, Mike Beth helps, carries Corey Rossman up the stairs. While he's carrying him up the stairs, helping him, he throws up on the stairs, and then Mike takes him and throws him in his bed. Mike Beth comes down. He has to do his term paper. Lauren is sitting on the couch. Well, laying on the couch, yeah. And and he said, listen, why don't you just sleep here? I'll give you a blanket and a pillow. Mm-hmm. She said, no, no, no. And um, 
So he brought her next door, right next door to the adjoining townhouse, and that was Jay Rosenbaum, who she knew for a couple of three years, four years before this. Had they ever been involved, Jay Rosenbaum? No, but they were. They attended the same camp, uh-huh. sleepaway uh-huh. camp. So he dumps her over to his other apartment. Who's right. in that apartment, Mike? Well, the other, so it's Jay Rosenbaum, who's from Michigan. Uh, Jay Rosenbaum has two guests over. Uh, one is sleeping upstairs. And the other one got lucky that night at a at one of the bars, and he was sleeping at a, a sorority house, yeah. so he wasn't home. Jay Rosenbaum attempts to, you know, offer her the couch. I'll get you a pillow. I'll get you a blanket, and she didn't want any part of it. She wanted to go home. What time is this, Mike? Quarter to four in the morning. Quarter to four. So in reality, what happens then, Mike? Jay Rosenbaum. Let's her go. He goes upstairs. He claims he goes upstairs to the second floor. There's a very small balcony right out in front of the townhouse. You can't put a chair, but you uh, you could stand on there and have a you cigarette. Could look out. Yeah. So he stood on there and he watched her walk he says to the this. corner. He claims he watched her walk, and when she approached the corner of College Avenue and 11th Street, because his house is on 11th, and she now had to walk south about three blocks, two and a half blocks to Smallwood. So this was the last person in your investigation He says actually says that he sees her walking and he sees her reach that corner and after that we have no video and nothing, right? Right. He said he he's not sure if he's trying to think too hard, but he says he thinks he sees a person intersect with her. On that corner, but it's dark, it's, you know, 250 feet down the block, and he's not positive. She never makes it. Corey Rossman is upstairs sleeping. And when, when we, well, you, because you were the head of the investigation, when you attempted to question one, was the boyfriend who had a motive because he may have been pissed off that she's The boyfriend now, his name is Jesse Wolf. He lived about four blocks away on the corner of Fess and and uh, FESS. What was uh, his alibi, Michael? He still not alibied properly to my satisfaction. He claims he watched the NBA playoff game with his fraternity bl- brothers about a block or two away from his house on Fess. After the game, he went home. He was talking with uh, one of his roommates until about 2, 2.30 in the morning. Then the roommate went to bed. Therefore, Jesse could have been left the house and and stalked his girlfriend. So you know, that, that, that's, that's a possibility. That it's we, a possibility. We have not been able to talk to him, right? He lawyered up right, right He away. lawyered up. His father runs interference for him. His father's not a not a cooperative guy, Alan Wolf. Uh, they're originally from Long Island. Um, now, I believe the family lives in Florida, and Jesse Wolf is out in Colorado someplace, last I heard. What about the other people? Did you, the, were you able to? No. Corey any? Rossman, we knocked on his door. He he called the police on us. Uh, he called his attorney, who uh, who responded and said, if you knock on his door again, we're going to make a criminal complaint against you. So we got no satisfaction. Mike Beth, we put him under surveillance while we were there in Bloomington. Then we followed him into a, a sandwich shop, and we went in, and we, we kind of surprised him. I gave him my business card. I asked him if he'd be willing to sit down. 
down with me. He sat there for an hour. So the business card I gave him, say, at 7 o'clock at night when I sat down with him, when my interview was over at 8 o'clock, was like wet Kleenex. It was in his hands. It was twisted, and his hands were sweating so profusely. He was so nervous in talking to me that my card was like a piece of Kleenex tissue. Um, but he did answer questions, and he's the only one of those three boys who I've ever had the opportunity to interview. Well, uh, uh, Rossman, I could not interview. Beth, I interviewed one time. He would not. Uh, he would not acquiesce to any follow-ups. And I did do two interviews with uh, with Jay Rosenbaum. Now, now, as far as us working with the Bloomington Police Department, what kind of cooperation did you get with this chief and all that, Michael? Absolutely zero. Uh, chief Mike Dykoff is the most uncooperative. He he will not share any information, even with other law enforcement agencies. Uh, what was his, what was agencies. his background to be the chief, Mike? Well, I had heard he was a sergeant or something, and or a lieutenant, and he was in charge of the uh, creating the traffic flow <laughs> chart after an IU football game when they'd get 50,000, 60,000 people in the stadium, and it would be gridlocked for hours. Who, so he who, came who up with Who was his wife, the, Mike? Who was his wife? His wife was a, uh, a judge <laughs> uh, in that Town. So he became the chief of police. His wife, his wife was a judge, and this is a. Uh, a and he's uh, still to this day, eleven years later. Yeah, he's still and the he's, chief. A, he, he's a total non-competent uh, person. And I've spoken with many cops, detectives, even some high-ranking Bloomington PD officials. They tell you, no uncertain terms, this guy rules with an iron fist. If anybody's caught talking to me, they're in big trouble. So <laughs> yeah. so that's the way he rolls. Let's go over the scenarios, Michael. Being we didn't get any kind of help from the PD whatsoever. Well, we had to develop ourselves. And if initially when she disappeared, there were things that they could have gotten Warrants for the car, for the boyfriend. They right. didn't do that. No, and they, now, if, if it was the boyfriend, he threw her in the car. I mean, the evidence could have been in there. Right. And and he had the avenue there. So his alibi didn't, it didn't Well, from what him. I understand, with respect to Jesse Wolf's vehicle, while it was parked out in front of his his uh, fraternity uh, you know, house, they lived off campus because they got thrown off campus yeah. for boisterous behavior. So they just went to his car with a flashlight, and there wasn't a crime scene unit. It wasn't, you know, they so, didn't so go, the, they didn't put the big lights so, on it and collect hairs and fibers and, we, and, we, and blood samples. We've talked about this many times, Michael. So, you know, the, the scenario is, like I said in the beginning, the scenario is you always look for, for a motive of someone hurting. Right. Although, the way she was intoxicated, she hit her head, who knows, she could have developed a concussion and she could have had a, cere- a cerebral uh, problem. In reality, he has not been eliminated. Nobody's eliminated in this case. Right. So the three scenarios, the boyfriend motive. Well, she was out with Corey Rossman and a couple of other guys. He thought that she might have been cheating on him. So that would give him motive. He was very jealous. He was a bit violent. I've gotten some background from family members that uh, Jesse Wolf was known to have a short fuse. And he's not alibied. Nobody put their eyes he's on him. He's a suspect. So he's a suspect. What's the other? Scenario number two, Lauren did have a bad heart. You know, maybe after a night of partying, she 
just stopped breathing. She had a couple of falls on the way up to 11th Street, and and maybe she died. And and George, she could have died. And they could have wrapped her up in a rug and and disposed of her body. And this is their big secret, and we we haven't been able to talk. So that's scenario number two. Or. Some opportunist on the street, some sex fiend or something walking down the street. And there's a lot of, you know, weird homeless people that prey off of college girls in these college towns. We saw them when we were out late at night doing surveillance. Young girls go to the bar, they're drunk, they pick them up, they don't even know what they're doing. So she might have been staggering a bit. She She was barefoot. She didn't have her phone with her. And she was 95 pounds. So an easy target, easy prey for an opportunist on the screen who wanted to grab her and throw her in the car. So the three scenarios are she could have accidentally overdosed and or died from injury and they're covering it up, or the boyfriend who has a motive but doesn't have an alibi, or a crime of opportunity. And to this day, we still have not found Lauren Spirit. Now, I know you've been following up and you, uh, with the company. Will you follow up on every tip, Mike? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tips over the years. And, we, and some of them were so promising. If we have time, I'll, I'll tell you about one really promising one. You know, we got excited for a couple of days and then it fizzles. And then, you know? yeah, I remember you going, we had someone who was in jail who knew about it. Oh, then we've they, interviewed. They, and then we've actually had, we've actually had locations that we dug up, right, yeah. Michael? Yeah, and we, uh, we've uh, we've had more than a dozen jailhouse interviews with, with people who drop a dime. I think this guy did it. This guy confessed to it. We get into the jail. We interview that prisoner. And then he, he knows nothing you about You know what it's case. all about? And we know the family very well. You became very close with him, Mike. Yes. Uh, uh, Lawrence Spears' parents. And uh, it's all about one thing, closure to this thing. And I'm going to say it right now. If you were involved and if she died by accident, come forward. And I guarantee you we could talk to the district attorneys and we could probably get some kind of immunity for you if you're listening to this podcast and maybe you could settle what happened to Laura Spear. Maybe the family could get closure, Michael. Well, you know, you and I, uh, we you know, come to know the family family very well and I have one objective and I'll, I'll never stop working until I find the answer, but I want to bring closure yeah. to Rob and Charlene Spear and Rebecca, uh, Lawrence's sister, and uh, they're a beautiful family. They deserve Answers. They've gone through the worst pain in the last 11 years that that it's unimaginable. And if I could give them or if we can closure. give them some closure, some just little tiny bit of relief, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, uh, if you were involved with something of hiding the body after she possibly overdosed or possibly died from injuries or a heart attack, she had a heart condition. She was taking a lot of those uh, those drugs that we found out. Right. Uh, maybe it was an accident. But all we want to do is find Lauren Spira to give closure to the family. And if you were part of it, covering it up or anything, I can almost guarantee you we could get immunity from the district attorney's office. You could call Mike at the office. Again, send an email to investigations with an S.com. Any information that you have on this thing, maybe you heard something from somebody, any information, and we'll follow through on any information on this thing. Let's help the Spears get closure for their little girl. Just imagine having a daughter, 19 years old, and all of a sudden 
never seeing her again and you not knowing where that little girl went where she is and uh, again if you're listening to this podcast you know anything you could contact us at investigations within us.com send any information and Mike is continuously working on this case how many years is it done now Mike? It's 11 years 11 years and he's not going to stop he ain't retiring soon and uh, that's the way it is and I uh, again I want to thank you Michael for being on the show bring it to light and we have some very interesting other cases that in the future that we'll go over and this is Bo Deedle's true crime stories and I think we should touch upon and we will touch upon some of the most interesting cases and really dig down deep tell you the real facts this isn't reading a newspaper this is the facts from the people that actually worked on these cases Michael I want to thank you for coming in today and very uh, very important that people realize there are other people that you could hire that can go in there and roll up their sleeves with experience and you don't have to depend on the police. God knows now all the good detectives are retiring and you know what? And we're hiring them, Mike. Right, that's and you right. can hire real good detectives at Bo Deedle Associates Investigations.com Please look us up. I thank everybody for listening. Till next week, we'll talk to you again with Bo Deedle's True Crime Stories. Thank you. Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.